join us into your great cosmic scheme, bringing all things under Christ. So teach us, inspire us, envision us this evening. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. I'd love you to keep that open. Uh, I want to look at three things that Paul prayed for the Ephesians then and uh, to kind of see if we can appropriate uh, what he prayed for those guys back there to us here today, this evening. Can I just, uh, before I get into that, a little caveat on last week. Um, I was talking last week about, uh, in the context of our joining small groups, our life groups here, and I kind of put out a bit of a challenge that um, one of the ways in which you know it's authentically Christian, authentically gospel, is if in human terms it's radically different. Male, female, black, white, young, old, rich, poor, whatever. It's that difference that God unites. And um, I kind of laid that out as a bit of a, a challenge. Um, and uh, I had a few people, quite a few people come up to me afterwards and I could tell you're so sweet, you're so wonderful, you kind of want to do, you know, come under the authority of the vicar and, you know, do what he says and, and I could see you, 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 a few people were saying, um, so can, can you suggest a group that I might go into? And I, reading, I could read the look in your eyes, I bless you, sort of, I could, because you, you're all young and beautiful. And, and so I could see you were thinking, you're going to put me in an old ugly group, aren't you? <laughs> There's a flip side. There's a flip side to what I said last week. I stand by what I said last week. I see. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to declare who, in my opinion, is the most beautiful woman in St. Dionys. I'm going to name her right now. Rosemary. Surname Sisson. She was here at eight o'clock. She's 90. She's beautiful. She's utterly beautiful. She was on our Welcome Wednesday thing on the Facebook page a few weeks ago, and I bumped into her in the street. We were with Joe, and uh, she she isn't on Facebook yet. So I said, Rosemary, uh, have you seen this? And I just got it on my phone and I, I showed her. And she went, because oh, actually it was Jono who took the photo. Jono's here tonight. And she hasn't even seen the photo that Jono took. And Jono's a professional photographer. So it's a fantastic photograph uh, of Rosemary looking absolutely radiant. And uh, she literally, she's an actress in training. That's what she did in her life. So when I showed her the picture, she went, oh, like that. Sort of slightly overdid it. But... <laughs> Uh, and I said, Rosemary, and I scrolled down and said, look what some of the people have posted. Look what they've said. And we read through. And so one person, had just, they just put, it was, it was someone from this congregation, I think. It's a young person who she doesn't know, but they just put, or know that well. She, they, they put, um, Rosemary, you're beautiful. And I read that to her. And uh, she saw that, and she started to well up. Um, and what just tumbled out there on the street, Joe and I were with her. What tumbled out was that actually she's got a sister who was always thought to be more beautiful than her. And so for 90 years of her life, she's labored under this idea that she's not the beautiful one. And, and I tell you that story because someone here, I don't know who it was, whoever posted that, but you helped us to be church. Because a young beautiful person told an older beautiful person that they were beautiful when they didn't even know it. And it brought tears to her eyes. That's, that's church. Actually, as I tell you that story, I can feel the hairs on the back. That's the kind of church I want to lead. That's what kind of church I want to be part of. So I stand by what I said. But look, the caveat, the caveat, the caveat is, if you, the, really what I want to say is commitment. Because actually, I'm fine with, if, if there's a life group that starts and you're all 27-year-old accountants, fine, fine. I really don't mind. Go for it. Join with everyone who's like you, but commit. Because what you'll find is that over the weeks, as your stories unfold, actually, um, you're all different. 
If you start with the same, the differences will emerge. That one of you's got a brother who's in prison. One of you's dad died when he was five. One of you's got a fear of spiders. One of you isn't, is really worried about whether you're going to make ends meet. And it'll all, all the differences. And then if you commit, in that difference, God will grow. Okay, that was, that was just all by way of an introduction to what we want to say here. Paul's prayer uh, to these Ephesians. Three things that he prays. And the first one is in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Interesting, it's with wisdom and understanding that God acted in his plan last week. Uh, Where's that? In verse um, 8, thank you. With all wisdom and understanding, God made this great mystery known. And now Paul prays that we have wisdom and revelation so that we may know him better. That's the first thing that Paul prays. That these Ephesians here, these young Christians, just like you and I, may know God better. That you may know him. Interesting, it's him that Paul prays we get to know. Not what he does, even though those are worthy things. It's not that we seek to have lots of answers to prayer, lots of things that I can tout around as a testimony, good as they are. Just like the story I've told of Rosemary. What a wonderful thing, what an honourable thing. It builds up God's people, but that's not what Paul is praying for here. He prays that you would know him. It's as if he's saying, seek his face before you seek his hands. Look into his eyes. Look at him looking into yours. Before you ask him for things or stuff, worthy as it is. I make this observation that uh, in times of sort of corporate prayer and we split down into to sort of groups and that kind of thing and, and have a time of, sort of open prayer. We invite people to, to call prayers out loud. And, and every now and then, um, uh, when I'm leading those kind of meetings, I often invite people to, invite us all to um, engage in praise of God. Let's praise God. And my observation is how quickly it slides into thanksgiving. Again, totally good activity, really good thing to do. But it's interesting how, how hard it is, it seems, for us to stay on praise, honour, adoration. Just appreciating God for God, not appreciating God for all the things he does. I wonder when was the last time you individually, in your own time with God, just stayed on marvelling at, wondering at, luxuriating in God, just for who he is. Discipline yourself not to slide into all the things, thank you for this, thank you for that, thank you, just who he is. His wonder, his splendour, his power. His patience, his faithfulness. Maybe if it helps just to write down, get a, a bit of a list going so that you've got some sort of, you know, some sort of fuel for the, the fire of praise and adoration. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ that you may know him more. Him. It's tricky for us because... Um, if you're in paid work, uh, my guess is that pretty much every single one of you will, will be contracted. We, we live in a contractual 
society. And so your company, your firm, your business, your school, wherever it is that you, you work, they want you. They probably like you. They probably really appreciate you for what you do. And that's contracted. And you've signed on the dotted line. And if you don't do what you're contracted to do, there's someone else. Thank you very much. There's the door, P45. And, and that's kind of ingrained in us. We just, that's just the way the world is. You're wanted in the world for what you do, contribute. But you're not contracted to God, and he's not contracted to you. Actually, the, the word is covenant. We, we, we just join together to become one in relationship. We, we have that kind of relationship mirrored here on earth. It's called marriage. It's a gift of God in creation where the two people who enter into that covenant, not a contract, not going into a marriage for what I can get out of you. No, all that I have, I give to you. All that I am, I share with you. Because I delight in you. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. But we live in a contractual society. And we need to work hard at ensuring, in order to be the sort of live the answer of this prayer, that we, we enjoy God for, jo for God. We give ourselves to him, just for who he is, not for what he does. So Paul's first prayer, that they may, in verse 17, may know him better. It's a delicious thing, it's a practice. I was reading the other day of a, a couple who celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary. And they talked about all the things that they'd been through, um, the marriage and all the sort of, just the stuff of life, including um, uh, the bringing up and raising of kids who'd obviously grown up and left home. And they themselves had married and had their own kids, this couple's grandchildren. And the grandchildren had come and they'd been through that stage of young children, uh, all this, and they'd grown up. So their, their grandchildren were now grown ups. And here they were, 60 years of marriage, and the reflection it was the, the husband who was writing. But he said what he just is so deeply, deeply living in each of them is presence. It's just that deep knowledge that the other is there. They kind of know each other so well they can kind of predict their actions and reactions. They, they know all the sort of the movements of the day as it were. And it was beautiful. It was just that delicious intimacy and that sense of ongoing presence. That, if you like, is the fruit of this first prayer of Paul, that we may know him better. We just delight in his presence. It's not a sort of, get what I can get on a Sunday evening because I've got to kind of survive at work without him there. No, knowing him better means you know he's there already. When you open the door to your office tomorrow, he said, hi, how are you doing? What are we going to do today? I pray that you may know him better. It's Paul's first prayer here. Secondly, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's a great phrase, isn't it? In order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. I pray that you may know the hope to which he's called you. The second thing that Paul prays for is that they may know Christian hope. I wonder what hope is. Uh, Luke, my son and I, were season ticket holders at Fulham Football Club. One point, bottom of the championship. We went to go and watch them lose again yesterday at home. And as we went, Joe waved us off. She said, uh, bye boys, hope they win. 
such a sort of weak, kind of anemic word in that context. We, we said, we, we, we think about how we use the word hope and our understanding of hope. We say, don't we, um, have a nice day, hope it goes well. And what we mean is, you know, it, it, it may go well, in which case, great, but it, it kind of may not. You know, come see, come sir, whatever. Hope. But hope for the Christian is solid. It's like an anchor on the sea of life. It roots you. And hope is secured in the future. Tim Keller defines hope as the life-conditioning conviction of the future. The life-conditioning conviction of the future. It's the certainty of the future that shapes and prioritizes the present. Hope. And what is, our, what is our hope? What is that future? How can we be so sure of it? What does it look like? What is it, this future hope? Well, Paul talks about it here, the, just the last bit of the verse. It's the riches of his glorious inheritance. What is this inheritance? Well, you know what an inheritance is. It's a, it's a, 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 sum, it's a sum of money or a load of wealth that is yours. It's kept for you and one day you will inherit it. It'll be yours. It's maybe not yet yours, it's there as promise. But, but you have hope in receiving that inheritance. What is our inheritance in Christ? Well, it is, as I was saying last week, it's the culmination of all that God is planning to do, the coming together of all things. And when that is complete, our hope is fulfilled. We have our inheritance. Sin and all that spoils and, and detracts from the plan of God is done away. That's why Paul talks about um, our redemption. Just up at verse 14, top of that, uh, the sort of right-hand column, talks about the Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And in one sense, we have been redeemed by God's work in Christ on the cross. We've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're currently being saved from the power of sin as we learn to grow in Christian character and to resist temptation as we grow strong in that way. But sin is all around and occasionally we fall. This world is still, you heard Heather's heartfelt prayers, this world is still not perfect. But there will come a day when there won't just be a day of international peace, it will be international peace forevermore. When there'll be no more death and no more crying and no more pain because the old order has passed away and the new heaven, the new earth, the new order is here. That's our inheritance and we look forward to that. No more sin, no more death, no more decay. It means that relationships work well and are satisfying and fulfilling. It means that children obey those above them without being abused by them. It means mums and dads honour their kids and bring them up lovingly. It means that work is satisfying. It means that, that creation is in harmony with the economy and with the political systems. They all work in harmony for this great whole that God is creating. And the whole earth worships God. It's life with all the best bits amplified and all the bits that destroy forever destroyed. How wonderful is that? Can I ask, how often do you think about that? 
I know in the busyness of the day-to-day. But I think what Paul is effectively saying is, you know, his prayer for these Ephesians is that they would just take time out to know God better and to think about the hope that they have in him. Someone described hope or defined hope like this. Hope is to hear the music of the future. Faith is to dance to it today. Hope is to hear the music of the future. Faith is to dance to it today. Two guys. You give them a a really horrible, arduous day's work. It's in blistering heat. It's um, kind of soul-destroying, heavy manual labour. They're going to just sort of breaking rocks in, the, in, a, in a, a huge, horrible heat. And you say to the first one, uh, when you've completed this work, I'll pay you £10 at the end of the day. £10 for this labour. And you say to the second one, when you complete exactly the same work, I'll pay you a million pounds. £10, a million pounds. The guy getting £10 for his day's labour, as the day goes on, he gets blistered and hot and sweaty. And he, he begins to get just more and more weary. He gets weakened. He starts to sort of swear and cast and... But the other guy, well, he starts off with a song in his heart. He starts whistling. He doesn't, he doesn't care how hard the work is. In fact, with each passing minute and each passing hour, he's getting nearer to the glory of what his, what his reward is. Hope. See, it, it, without hope, you weaken, you fail. But with hope, you grow strong. Paul prays that they may know the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his people that one day will be ours. And with each passing day we get closer to it. Sometimes I find myself, um, <laughs> being the spiritual leader that I am, <laughs> from the other day, I mean, the, other day uh, the computer just completely went, hey, well, I'm not a techie. Anything. And I just, I find myself thinking, oh, Lord, come now. <laughs> come now. End it all now. <laughs> that's because I'm, I'm frustrated with the current thing. It's not because I'm, I'm glorying in a future hope. I say this against myself. How often do I think about what is to come and, and long for that day? Not because I don't want to be involved in what's going on the here and now, but because of what's to come is so much more glorious. John Newton, the, the hymn writer, he said this, if you understand your future glory, it will make the best times Leaveable, and the worst times bearable. If you understand your future glory, it'll make the best times leaveable because there's something even better. It'll make the worst times bearable. By the way, this here is basically is the theology for why we do prayer ministry. It's why we clear space in our, in our services for people to come forward to receive prayer. It's what we're doing is saying, look, we know we've got an inheritance. We know we've got all the riches of heaven. We know that we've been blessed, verse 3, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So whatever your prayer request is, we know we've got it. We know we've got it in Christ. So, so all we're doing is saying... Lord, because you've given us a deposit, which is the Holy Spirit, you've given us a down payment, we've got some of it already. Father, we're simply asking that that which you've already given us as a deposit, we'd like it to heal her. We'd like it to mend this marriage. We'd love it to find this guy a job. We'd love it just to play our part in making all things whole. 
One day that's going to be the story anyway. Can't we just have a bit of it now? Please God, in Christ. That's the theology of prayer ministry. So Paul's prayer, that we may know him better, that we may know the hope that he has for us. And very briefly, uh, thirdly, we may know in verse um, 19 his incomparably great power for us who believe. If hope is kind of future-oriented, this aspect of the prayer is, is kind of in the present. That we may know God's power. He says it's like the power that raised Jesus from the dead. To know God's power. Again, just invite you to, to think about this for a minute. Because I wonder, again, in our English usage of that, the word power, I wonder what images, if we were to do a sort of, you know, uh, word association, I say power, you say to me, you know, what kind of images come up? I wonder whether they, we, we talk about things like the power of the wind, you know, there's a sort of hurricane storm or a, you know, a tornado or whatever, or we talk about the power of the sea or the power of the, the elements, the weather. And often it's two things. It's destructive, often, isn't it? Uh, that's why it's hit the news. And often it's impersonal. I don't really have a relationship with a tornado. And so it becomes quite, when we read about this, that we may know God's power, what does that look like in my life? I want to suggest that the power that uh, Paul is referring to here, God's power that raised Jesus from the dead, uh, uh, brought him back from the dead, raised him, the resurrection, that was a, that was a huge power of love. We focus on the miraculous element of death to life, but, but look at the outpouring, the overflow of it. If you like, you know, the tsunami of it. We think a tsunami is something negative, but the tsunami effect of the resurrection was the early church and was God's mystery revealed around the world. The power of love bringing uh, reconciliation, forgiveness, bringing uh, Jew and Gentile, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, together in this harmonious new world organization. That's powerful, but it's good. And it's personal as it connects us to people like Rosemary. So it's a kind of, it's a kind of drive, if you like. It's an energy. It's the determination or the will to be steadfast and faithful and to persevere, to walk into the winds that we will encounter in the world around us and say, no, my face is set towards heaven. That is where my hope is secure. And as I do that, I grow strong in his power that works itself in me. How do I know this power exists? Well, Paul says, uh, verse 20 onwards, we've seen it already. The resurrection of Jesus was a public demonstration of that power. You say, well, that's great for Jesus, but what about me? How do I know that I can have this power, this, this energy, this force, this drive to make a difference in my life and for the lives of others? Just jump across to chapter 2 and uh, verse 4. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, now listen to this, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where, where Jesus is, we are. And what God has done in Christ he's done to those of us who are in Christ. 
just like this sheet of paper is contained in these sheets of paper. So if it falls to the ground, so it falls to the ground. But if the Bible, the sheets of paper is raised up, so is this sheet of paper as part of it. If I am in Christ, I'm raised with Christ. I'm seated with God in the heavenly realms. That is the power and the authority that I have and you have in Christ. Two applications really quickly. Um, the first is, I just want to follow up uh, what I said uh, in terms of our giving to this great plan, to this great cause. Giving ourselves to God's church because God has chosen the church to make manifest to the world his great plans and schemes, to, to be the living, living embodiment of this prayer. And so how can we support this church? It's by giving of ourselves in, in, in terms of our time and energy and commitment. Big hand for uh, John T and Leanne today because that's the first time they've been on the AV. You wouldn't have known it. They did it perfectly. So that was fantastic. And there are other people looking to commit in other ways. Uh, in their creativity, in their imagination, we'd love to encourage you who are committing to us here to consider giving financially as well so that we can support the work of the church and the ministry and the mission of the church. Often, when a church leader stands up and talks about money in the context of the church, it's, it's from a starting point of lack. It's normally sort of in this faintly apologetic, oh, uh, we haven't quite got enough money, um, so if you could sort of help us. And it kind of elicits a response, all right, then I'll just see what I've got. You know. And it's that kind of, you know, all from lack, as if the church is in need. That, that's not my understanding of what I've just been reading in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's chosen us. He's adopted us. He's redeemed and forgiven us. He's sealed us with his Holy Spirit. He's given us and we've got this inheritance to come. What more could we want? How rich are we? We don't talk about money from a point of lack. It's from a point of plenty. We at the church, we have everything, but we live amongst a world in need. So, so the flow of the money is just, well, it's kind of from God. It works its way out in gifts, abilities, time, talent, and money, possessions. And we say, so, so much, I'm going to give that away. And so we just invite you, as you commit to the church, to, to give that away through the church so that we, as a church, all of us, we can do the things that we feel God is calling us to do. Um, Lepton, these little cards, Lepton, L-E-P-T-E-O-N. If you've got a smartphone, you can download the app. I might even give you permission to do it right now. Uh, and you can, we've, we've registered the church with Lepton, so you just go ping St. D's and then it'll say how much do you want to give and how regularly. You can give a one-off donation or you can give it on a regular basis. Uh, they will work out all the gift aid if you're a taxpayer in this country. So we get 25%, is it? Or 20%, I never know. But anyway, a whack back. Uh, you give 80, we get 100, something like that. There it is. Uh, it is as easy as that. It's two clicks away. I know paper and forms and all that is it's kind of um, old school. So Lepton. I really recommend that app as a way in which we can give to St. Dees. We, we, there are so many exciting plans brewing for next year. So we're beginning to work on a kind of budget for next year. It would be so helpful if we knew... I mean, in the, at the end of the day, God's got it all. 
So I, you know, God's got it all. I, in one sense, I don't care. But in another sense, it would be so helpful if we knew we had a rough idea of what we could go for as we look to press out into our community. And I guess that leads me into the second thing, which in, in a sense is more what I want to talk about. Uh, and it's this phrase on the, on the sheet here at the bottom. Um, it's our refreshed mission statement. And uh, it's just on the, on the bottom of these white sheets. If you want to see it there, you can take it away. Uh, this is our mission statement. What are we about here? What are we doing? If you're thinking of joining in with us, what are you joining in on? What are we doing? What's, what's, what's the action plan? It is to reach our local community with the love of God by living and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Living and proclaiming Jesus Christ in our local community. That's what we want to be about. We, we gather here and it's good, but we want to get out there. I love, it's Pat's inspiration, to see every single house in our parish invited to consider the claims of Jesus Christ on Alpha. That's why this coming Tuesday, 8 o'clock, 7.45, doors open, 8 o'clock, quick song, quick pray, and then we're out. We've divvied up every single street with Alpha invites. We're all in these bags in the, in the vestry. We're just going to give them out to all the life groups. Which, by the way, if you're thinking of joining a life group, great way to see who's in which life group. And you go off with them, and it's a kind of prayer walk. It'll be fun. You post the Alpha. Just think, if every single Anglican church did that, the whole nation would have been invited to Alpha. Just like, it's, it's so simple. We're just going to play part of God's plan. So we invite you to join in with that as part of our mission. That is, that's us reaching the local community with what we believe is the love of God in the power of the Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Sorry, I've run out of things to say. Pat. <laughs>